Welcome to Bible study. This is Nick Rita, your host. Very happy to be with you today and thank you for tuning in. Like always, it's a privilege to open the Bible and to study God's Word. Through this uh, few weeks, we are approaching a study about the promise of God's everlasting covenant. Today, we like to focus a little bit more on one of the covenants which God made with Noah. And we are going to look into all future generations. I would like to introduce our panel for today. And I'll say welcome to Ken. Good to have you with us, Ken. Thank you, Nick. Good to be here today. It's very good to have Helen also with us. Thank you, Nick. Yeah, it's lovely and cool here at the moment, but we're all warm in our hearts. We may um, come across some of those cool uh, cool days. And um, as I mentioned that, I may just welcome uh, Marek up in the hills. Yes, it's wonderful and fresh, but we are enjoying some beautiful autumn colors. So it's a beautiful day to be alive and to be a part of this panel. Thank you. And it's good to have Len with us also from the suburbs. Maybe uh, a better weather. Yes, Thank you, Nick, and hello, listeners, and I hope it's as nice where you are as it is here. Very good to have you with us all, and as I said a bit earlier, um, this is quite an important topic uh, today because we are going to look a little bit more in detail um, about uh, God's promises through his covenants, and um, we are going to look into the covenant which God uh, made with Noah. Can I just ask... um, Anyone who feels like to, to open this uh, discussion, uh, just to start with a bit of a background. This lesson title is, uh, is fascinating because it speaks of all future generations. Very evident that there is something that we all need to learn from the biblical record of a flood. And the importance of it is, is stressed. In the words of Jesus Christ, who said, just as it was in the days of Noah, so also it will be in the days of the Son of Man. People will be eating, drinking, marrying, and being given in marriage up to the day Noah entered the ark. Then the flood came and destroyed them all. And if I can refer to another passage in in Second Peter chapter 5, if God did not spare angels when they sinned, And if he did not spare the ancient world when he brought the flood on its ungodly people but protected Noah, a preacher of righteousness, and seven others, if he condemned the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah by burning them to ashes, then the Lord knows how to rescue godly men from trials and how to hold unrighteous for the day of judgment. You know, when we read passages such as this, there are very significant and important lessons that we must draw from these accounts because these accounts are there for a purpose. We clearly see that man provoked God to the point where God had to execute judgment. But in all of this, we can also see extreme compassion on the part of God, where in spite of the sin, in spite of the provocation, God perseveres with mankind, promising, uh, promising restoration, promising reconciliation. And so today, as we begin to look 
at the very first covenant that is mentioned in the Bible, the covenant that God entered into with, with Noah, we want to focus on some specific details and issues there that are very, very important for us to highlight. Now, admittedly, when these days we talk about the flood, there are some people who would discount uh, the biblical record and say it's purely myth. There are others who might say, well, this idea of a worldwide flood, I'm not sure about that. Maybe that was just purely the perspective of the author of the book. He thought that it might have been worldwide, but in actual fact, maybe it was just localized. So, you know, all of these controversies come uh, to head here as we look at the story of Noah and the very first covenant that God made uh, with humankind. And I look forward to its study. I know that all of the panel members have uh, many points to make. And so we'll we'll go through the study and, and elaborate on these points. Ken, how would you like to lead us in prayer, please? Yes, that's fine, Nick. Heavenly Father, Lord God, thank you for bringing us all together again this day to bring forward, Lord God, this Bible study. Heavenly Father, all Bible studies are important. Times we live in today, Lord God, the studies are more relevant and more important than ever. We look around this world, Lord God, it's full of chaos and mayhem. And your word, Lord God, is the only light that's shining. Heavenly Father, we pray this morning that as our words go out, there will be words with the Holy Spirit, Lord God, that they will reach those people that's listening, those people that's seeking, those people that's doubting, that their hearts may be turned to Jesus, that they would look into the important things as we see the amazing day approaching, Lord God, of Jesus coming again soon. We pray for each and every soul listening, and we pray for the panel today, Lord God, that we may put your words out, Lord God, filled with the Holy Spirit. We ask this, Lord, in the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. Thank you, Ken. Len, I think you have something. Yes, what we're studying today is entitled All Future Generations. Now, as far as I'm concerned, what we are dealing with has affected all generations. It's affected the worldview. In fact, this study is a crossroad. Many people, as Merrick has already pointed out, do not accept the uh, biblical account of a worldwide flood. Some say it was a localised flood, but um, those arguments are easily dispelled. So it's a very important study, and we are looking into a particular part of it, and in particular how God has involved himself in the creation which he had made at least one and a half thousand years before and the impact that sin had. And sin has continued to have its impact since that time. And I would like to say that God has continued to have his impact. In fact, he has impacted me and I hope he impacts all of us. Good. Len, um Just coming back to the controversy about whether it was a localized event or whether it was a worldwide deluge, it's a fascinating question. I, I mean, I, I had the, the, the personal uh, opportunity of, of, of looking at the Grand Canyon and, and, and studying about the different layers of deposits in the Grand Canyon. More recently, 
I was uh, uh, hiking through the Dolomites in northern Italy, and uh, and I was most surprised to find out that the that the formation of the Dolomites consists of seabed material, of shells and so forth. You know, all of this kind of raises very pertinent questions as to how extensive was the flood. But when we look at the biblical references to the flood, uh, there is a lot of evidence there that it was a global flood. You know, when we read of, of the flood destroying all of creation under the whole of heaven, you know, that doesn't sound to me like a localized flood. When we uh, read of uh, all all of flesh being destroyed, that doesn't sound like a localized phenomena. When all of the birds and all of the living creatures were destroyed, it reflects on something that was very, very extensive. And when God says, I will destroy man, it refers to all of humanity. So, you know, when I, when I look at these statements and many others that we just don't have time to go into in much detail, I certainly feel that that universal global flood is the only interpretation that does justice to the biblical record and biblical references to the flood. I'm wondering if any, anyone else would like to comment on that. What I want to say that in these days, we hear more and more, even from a scientific point of view, that there was a flood. The only problem is, as you mentioned, that uh, people don't believe that was a worldwide flood, but they reckon that there was a, a flood, which means if we started to accept there was a flood, then we also can connect with that the issue of sin, because we know from a biblical account that the flood was as a result of the condition of humankind right. and they, their sinful nature and where yeah. they got up to. And right. God looked upon and he could, he um, put it in these words that he even said that he regretted that he created man. Right. Yes, just uh, going on what Mark said a moment ago about the, the flood. If you were to take the Bible and God out of the equation and just look at it from a purely scientific point of view, there is absolutely overwhelming proof today, physical proof, that the highest mountains in the world got shells on them and, and sea grit and all this sort of stuff. And many of these are two and three and four thousand feet high, if not, not higher. And you wonder, well, well, how did seashells and these sort of things get on top of the mountains? And it's not just in one area. It's a global thing. Any part of the world you go to, if you check the scientific evidence, there's absolutely overwhelming evidence that at some stage the sea has been above the mountains. Yeah, absolutely. And, 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 Ken, it's kind of interesting. I mean, we can travel into central Australia and find seashells there. And you can find them opalized. You can find them in so many different forms. Uh, you know, it's not just an area of Mesopotamia that was affected. I mean, this, this evidence uh, is, is evident even here on our own continent. And, of course, you can speak to Aboriginal people and you can speak to people of so many different cultures. And there are over 230 different flood stories uh, that come from some of these cultures, again, indicating 
that something very significant has happened and that is reflected uh, throughout all of the cultures, major cultures around the world. Uh, Len, you have a comment. Yes, I would love us to have a um, particular study on the uh, flood, whether it was real or not, because there is heaps of evidence and a lot of evidence that certain scientists looking through their particular evolutionary glasses come up with this point of view. But uh, I believe if people have open minds, they can see that there was a worldwide flood. However, we're really focusing more on the covenant and why the flood happened to be. Although I, for one, would love to spend more time on about was the flood real or was it not? Mm-hmm. Right. And, and then appre- appreciate that uh, fact. The biblical account provides a lot of evidence that the account there is a factual account. We have genealogies. We have an account of all of the ancestry there of, of, of Noah uh, before the flood, post-flood. We have such detailed accounts of the flood in terms of, of, of how high the waters rose, how many cubits above the highest peak and so forth. You know, all of this is intended to convey to us the fact that it was a real historical occurrence. And we can have confidence of that because the flood is then referred to by Christ himself, by so many other biblical authors, whether you read uh, the book of, uh, of Ezekiel, whether you look at, at the book of Job. All of these bring accounts of, of the flood into the, into the narrative. But as you say, the critical point here is to understand the significance and the meaning of the covenant, the very first covenant that the Bible mentions, its significance and meaning for for Noah in his time, but also for us in our time. And just on that, Marek, um, as I mentioned a bit earlier, if we dismiss or if we put aside the reality of flood, then we can put in question that the mankind was wiped off, except Noah and his family. Then we can uh, run into even a bigger issue, talking about the the human being on this earth. Now, if we accept the flood, as the Bible teaches, then we also have to accept there was only a righteous man, the Bible says, Noah, which was saved, and his family. And in the Bible, we will look in a few passages in the Bible, I believe, and learn from Bible account what was the condition of man and sin, which led to the, um, to the flood. Yes. And, and, and that really brings us to that first section of, of, the, of our lesson study, uh, which is entitled The Sin Principle. Um, it would be good to literally look at some of the uh, records and and that are, are provided for us in the Bible that give us a sense of why God was brought to the point uh, of destroying the world. Uh, you know, the extent of, of sin and so forth. Len, would you like to comment? Well, I'd like to say this first as a kind of preface. When God created the world, he created it very good. People back in that time lived 
for a long, long time. Genesis chapter 5 gives the ages of some of the, what we would say, patriarchs, the early people. So they lived a long time, and I think they were much more perfect in intellect and physically than what we are today, although we think we're pretty smart today. I think we've, um, we're not quite as smart as what we think we are. And so with these long lives and with a great deal of intelligence and the fact that man had fallen into sin, people, the world became a very, very wicked place. There were very few people who honoured God. And when we come to Genesis chapter 6 and verse 5, it says, The Lord saw how great man's wickedness on the earth had become, and that every inclination of the thoughts of his heart was only evil all the time. And God must have been really sad. He started out, gave everything was good, and it was now corrupt, or at least people were corrupt. And so God was grieved that he had even made man. Mm-hmm. So he decided to do something about it. I'll read on a little bit. The Lord was grieved that he had made man on the earth, and his heart was filled with pain. Right. Yeah. I think Helen has something to add. I believe that our Lord is so long-suffering And it wasn't instantaneous. He gave man quite a long time and and he just watched the wickedness grow. Uh, It's like if you throw a pebble in the water, the, the circles go further and further out. And sin isn't just, you know, when we commit a sin, it's not like we go out and say, well, most of us, I'm just going to commit a sin today. Often it's a thought that starts in the mind and then, of course, the mind will become action. And we can see that when we look at Genesis um, chapter 3, 4, and 6, how it was a downward spiral. And, and I think there's a lesson there for us in our own life that we need to be very careful when we are actually um, getting so busy. We might miss a day spending time with the Lord and, and you know, then it becomes a week, it becomes a month and what have you. A famous uh, musician, once he was at the peak of his performance, but he still practiced about five hours a day. And he was asked, why did he practice? And he said, because if I don't, he said, within a week, I know. He said, within two weeks, my family recognize it. And he said, within a month, the world sees it. And and I think that's like sin, you know. It comes into our heart, into our life, and and it just it's just a downward spiral. And if we were to look at Psalm one, we would see the steps that actually take us down. I'm not going into that at the moment, but you can see the steps that take us down. Yeah. So I think um, temptation isn't a sin, but when you put it into action, it becomes a sin. And I think when we're tempted to go down the wrong path, that point we need to turn it all over to God. And just, Helen, just to continue on what you are saying, no wonder that God hates sin. Mm. And uh, no wonder that uh, sooner or later, uh, sin will be eradicated. Mm. Uh, Just loving God uh, could do nothing else Mm -hmm. with it, but just eradicate it. And in this context, uh, for the antediluvians, we learn that, um, that that was the case. The good news, of course, is that through it, he wants to get rid of it of sin. 
He wants to save sinners. Mm-hmm. That's yeah. what the covenant is all about, I believe. Okay. Uh, when we read the first verses in chapter 5, it says, When God created man, he made him in the likeness of God. And when you come down to verse 3, when Adam had lived 130 years, he had a son in his own likeness, in his own image. It's interesting, we begin with the image of God, but progressively, as children were born to Adam and to others, they bore the image of their fathers. And on the one hand, you had Cain, who was one of the, you know, Adam's first son, who became a murderer. He had children. And what were those children like? They bore the image of Cain. They started to walk away from God and eventually became very vile, very corrupt, very sinful. Yet those who were born to Adam, like Seth, born in the image and likeness of Adam, they remained faithful. And uh, over a period of time, we had the children of Cain, which commonly referred in the scripture as, 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 the, uh, as, as the children of, of men, and the children of Seth, who were referred to as the children of, of God, because they followed God's will and uh, God's, uh, uh, God's principles. But, uh, but ultimately, we know from just the biblical record itself uh, that the level of, of, uh, of corruption, of evil, uh, was such, and it's reflected in, in the life of Lamech, for example, who, who was uh, one of the first to take on multiple wives. We see that not only did he take on two wives, but he also murdered another person who had injured him. Uh, we see that the value of life was, uh, was uh, treated with very little regard I think eventually it led to the point where God could no longer tolerate not only the corruption and the Bible repeatedly says the violence, but it all so misrepresented God and what he initially intended and created that God not only experienced pain and heartache, but it led him to the point where he decided that this must come to an end. Yes, I was just thinking back to what Lane said earlier on about uh, people, uh, the first people on the earth. They were very, very clever. I think today those that uh, do look back on these people think perhaps that they were not that smart, but I believe they were incredibly clever. And if we look at Ecclesiastics chapter 1 and verse 9, it tells us that what has been will be again, and what has been done will be done again. There is nothing new under the sun. So I believe things really haven't changed that much from the beginning of time. Yes, yes. And then if if we were to go on to the next text from where you left off, Len, in verse 7 of chapter 6, we read, And the Lord said, I will wipe mankind whom I have created from the face of the earth men and animals and creatures that move along the ground and birds of the air, for I am grieved that I have made them, but Noah found favor in the eyes of the Lord. Now, sin is not something that is localized. Sin, when it spreads, it spreads like a virus. If we look at our experience of the pandemic, how long did it take for that virus to spread from one location in China to the rest of the world? 
you know, viruses and, and bacteria have a way of multiplying at such an exponential rate that I think it's a fitting example of, of the impact of sin. And that sin spread so widely that eventually God decided that he would bring judgment and, uh, and had to destroy the things that were created from the whole face of the earth. And that included uh, all creatures that he had created. And there was only one person that was spread. And, you know, that makes me again feel that it was a worldwide event. You cannot localize sin to one geographical area. And if you destroy all wildlife, all birds, all of the things that God has created, it has to be more extensive than just a localized event. Do any of you have any comments, any reflections on that? Um, yeah, not on commenting on what you just said, although I was agreeing with that. When I was discussing Noah and the flood with a friend, the question came up, well, if God wiped out the world at the flood, why did he not wipe out the originator of it to start with? Why did he not wipe out Satan? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And and I think that's a question that we probably should address because it's the whole this is all about God's grace. It's all about salvation. You know, the ones that entered the ark is salvation for us at the end of time. But why did God allow Satan to continue? He, he tempted Eve. And of course, as we know what happened with Eve, she saw, she desired it and she went down that line. And, and then sin just gradually progressed down. Just on that one, Helen. Yeah, it's very important that you, you raise up that uh, concern because sin originated in heaven, uh, the throne of God. But when God created human beings, men and women, God also told them about that. And they knew about the consequences of sin or, or of disobedience. And we see here that God put them in the Garden of Eden. And if we even look in uh, Genesis um, in chapter 3, you know, how uh, the experience of uh, the woman, you know, eating from that forbidden tree. After that, after that, there was a lot of, it started to be suffering among humanity. It started to be cursing. It started to be, you know, crime. We talked about that, uh, you know, and uh, all sorts of things. You know, here, God is saying, if you will follow my leading, my advice to say so, then you'll benefit of all these things. And we learn here that the humankind, they were all their mind was all, all for evil. Mm-hmm. And except here, Marek, you just said that, except that Noah found grace before God. And that's another thing to talk about that. And I believe we'll, we'll um, touch on that as we go. Helen, just coming yeah. back to your question, though, uh, l- let's see if, if we can potentially derive a, uh, a biblically-based answer. Do you have some comments on that? Uh, well, my comment to that uh, person that asked that question, I explained that we we want to get rid of sin. God wants to get rid of sin. Of course he does. But he never wants it to rise its head again. And the only way that he could show how bad sin was was to allow Satan to continue on that road. 
And, um, but he also gave promises, you know, he gave the promise in Genesis that it would, it would be done away with, you know, and, and God can see the future. And we have that hope. But here we've got, you know, once Satan was allowed to, to, he was cast out to this earth, he wanted to have worship for himself. He wanted everybody to worship him. And he would do anything to deceive people. And I believe that's what brought them down in sin to start with. I just want to also mention that God does see the end from the beginning. And he was watching what was happening. He saw the wickedness. And and if you go and study the wickedness that happened in the days of Noah, it just degenerated something shocking. Mm. And um, I remember taking a sermon on um, comparing seven points in the days of Noah and seven points of today, and they're identical, mm. you know. And I thought, wow, God did say, as in the days of Noah, so shall it be in the days of the coming of the Son of Man. But I think there is a hope through all this and the covenants that we're going to talk about in a minute. I think this is a this is a study on hope. It's a study on God. He knew that those people, if he gave them another million years, they would probably end up destroying themselves anyway. And, you know, they would never be happy in heaven. God knows the end from the beginning. Yeah, sin was just so out of out of control, it would have wiped out even Noah and his family eventually. Yes, and God yes. wanted that remnant. And Noah found grace in the eyes of God because he was a righteous man and um, he was blameless. And he walked with God. And the contrast with that and the sin of that nation at that time is is enormous. And I think we're going to see it again. As Ken said, you know, there's nothing new under the sun. We're going to see that again in the last days. Right. Len, you have a comment. Yes. Our prime minister is in a very awkward position. If he and his cabinet make a decision, there are always somebody, there is always someone who wants to criticise. Now, if God had wiped out Satan at that particular time, he still wouldn't have dealt with the sin question. Sin would not have been atoned for. And so he couldn't because there were people watching in other worlds, angels, seeing how God is dealing with sin and uh, God is love. And if God had simply wiped everybody Satan and the lot out, there was still some unfinished business. Sin had to be atoned for, and so Jesus had to come Mm. in order to atone for sin. However, that's not the end of the story. Mm. In Revelation 20, it tells us that the devil who deceived them was thrown into the lake of burning sulfur where the beast and the false prophet had been thrown. God will ultimately deal with the originator of sin, but there is the whole universe has to be satisfied that sin is as bad as it is and that God is as good as he is. Thank you, Len. And and obviously when we we read Genesis chapter 3, verse 15, the promise of a coming Messiah when Jesus came himself, He was the Lamb of God who was basically set aside before the creation of the world. God had a plan in mind, and admittedly, the flood was not the end of that great controversy and that great conflict between good and evil. I just wanted to add a little bit more to what Len was saying uh, about sin. Uh, We know as we read the Bible, sin originated in heaven, and we're just talking about why God didn't destroy Lucifer 
And I think, of course, the reason is, as Len was saying, that there's other worlds in this great universe and other angels all over the place watching what's going on. But before man sinned, sin did not exist. So I believe it was new. The angels, they had no idea what sin was. That's my belief. Mm. So it had to run its course so that the universe could see dangers of sin and where it leads to. Yes. We mentioned this, and, you know, if we read in, in Genesis 6, 9, it's the first time when the word grace is mentioned in the Bible. Now, what that means, that means that God was not responsible, you know. Actually, God said to the uh, first couple not to eat from the uh, tree of uh, good and knowledge, because in the day you will eat, you will die. I mean, the result was already there. That was the consequence of sin. And God just decided to act on that, to withdraw, if you like, his grace. But in this case with Noah, it says that Noah found grace. Why? Because Noah was following God's teaching That's and obeying good. God. Mm, good. Thank you. And, and, and you know, when we, when we read that, text, but Noah found favor in the eyes of the Lord. What was so unique about Noah that he found grace in the eyes of God? What what were some of the characteristics here that are mentioned in, in that chapter that make Noah such an, a different individual, a, a different person, by contrast to those that uh, that he was preaching to? Well, Marek, it, it, it tells us that Noah, he was a God-fearing man, he had no faults, basically. He was blameless, and mm-hmm. he walked with God. So, again, he was in tune with God and aware of God. Yes. You know, it's, it's, it's interesting, uh, just before the actual flood, it must have been so, so difficult because Noah must have been one single individual who just stood out from the millions of others who were living around him, people who ridiculed him. You know, it's almost like today, Ken, how would you like to be the sole preacher, you know, in in, in the face of, of billions of people who would just ridicule you, laugh into your face uh, because of the message that you were wanting to deliver? You know, that that, that was Noah's situation, although <laughs> I think some of Noah's courage there uh, not only derived from his relationship in God, but Methuselah lived till the very uh, uh, year of the flood. And, uh, and while, uh, while Noah preached, uh, many of his predecessors there were still alive and listening to his preaching. And, uh, and I'm sure that people like Methuselah, Lamech, and, and others were, were his mentors uh, so there were righteous men there, but many of them passed away just prior to the flood. And when the time of the flood came, Noah stood there on his own with his family, proclaiming the, uh, the everlasting message of God's love and God's grace to a humanity that had so far moved away from God. Uh, any other comments on that uh, from the panel? I'd just like to comment, even though it did say that um, Noah was blameless. He was still a sinner. As to are we, I think one of the keys with Noah was that he walked with God. 
And I would believe that that was a daily moment-by-moment walk, as mm-hmm. Enoch did. And and there's a lesson there for us as well, you know, that we need to walk with God. But in regards to the fact that everybody, you know, was so wicked and they were mocking him and everything, I did read somewhere in a commentary that there were many that helped him build the ark that actually believed but died before the flood, as you were indicating, Marek. Yes, yes. And also I'd like to add uh, Marek uh, there because, uh, you know, we're talking about uh, sequentially or how you say that uh, word, you know. Chronologically. Mm-hmm. Yeah, chronologically, everything there. But what we learn is that Noah found grace in the, for in the sight of God. Yes. Is because, and here is what, how I understand things. And I'll bring something from the New Testament. You know, when Jesus said to Thomas, Blessed are you that you saw and believe. But blessed are those ones who haven't seen and believe. And what I want to link here is that God told Noah to build an ark. When there was not such of a understanding about flood and about, because there was no rain before that. But Noah believed in God and he started to build the ark. Mm-hmm. And I believe this is this is uh, amazing uh, to kind of just grasp mm-hmm. that this man believed, and that's why may, maybe the majority of people ridiculed him mm-hmm. because hang on a second, what are, why are you going to build build an ark for what? Mm-hmm. But he trusts in God. All right, Th- thank you, Nick, and, and we will move on to discussing the the concept of a covenant as mentioned in verse eighteen. Uh, I, Helen and, and Len, uh, Len, I think you were first. Uh, go ahead and uh, and comment, and then we'll move on to verse eighteen. Well, I was moving on to verse eighteen. Mm-hmm. This is Genesis chapter six, verse eighteen. God speaking, He says, "But I will establish my covenant with you, and you will enter the ark, you and your sons and your wife and and your sons' wives with you." So He says, "I'm establishing my covenant." So. What is this covenant? Basically, the covenant was the human race will be re-established through you. And God was expecting, instead of evil people, that there would be righteous people who would be similar to what Noah was. That was the whole idea. Okay, good. Yes, you know, just as Adam was the father of all mankind before the flood, Noah would become the father of all mankind after the flood. And that was very much a part of that covenant. Now, we we read that Noah was a righteous man, a blameless man who walked with God, but he was not a perfect man. And yet, God was able to provide a promise to Noah which gave Noah a certainty that he could go ahead and construct that ark, that he could take his family into the ark, that he would be preserved, not because he was perfect, but because God promised. And I love the fact that in that text we read the word, but I will establish my covenant with you. It's not our covenant. It's God's covenant. It's my covenant, God says, because even when we fail and when we fall as human beings, as long as we continue to walk with God, God will always honor that covenant. He will always honor his promises. You know, 
on that basis, I could see Noah going ahead and building an ark and preaching the gospel for the next 120 years. There was no uncertainty in his mind. He could be absolutely sure that what God has promised, God will deliver. Helen, you have a comment. Yes, I'd just like to bring it back to the covenant with Noah. There was two parts to this covenant. You know, a covenant is an agreement between a couple of parties, okay? And God took the initiative and he said, my covenant, which I think is absolutely beautiful, but the covenant he was saying is, right, I'll establish it that you and everybody will come into the ark. Why? Because he was going to save them. But there are two parts to this covenant, and I think there's a good analogy um, that we can bring out here where a man has fallen overboard from a boat in the midst of a storm. Someone on the deck says that he will throw a life preserver over to haul him in. The one in the water, however, has to agree to his end of the deal, and that is to grab on and to hold on to what has been provided to him. That, in many ways, is what the covenant between God and humanity is all about. So he said, I will bring you into it. What did Noah then have to do? He needed to build the ark. And then later on, we see where God said, this is the sign of the covenant. Before it was my covenant, God came there and he put it to Noah and he's agreed, he's built the ark. And then God says, this is the sign of the covenant, which I make between me and you and every living creature that is with you. Let's just very quickly focus on on the uh, uh, the uh, the actual uh, flood which occurred as as God had promised that He would destroy all mankind. It's uh, it's kind of interesting when when Noah completed the uh, the building of the ark. One of the most incredible evidences of God's leading in this was when God actually. Uh, led the animals, the birds, and all the living creatures into the ark. That must have been a phenomenal sign for people to witness. Does anyone anyone have any comments about that? Even before that, um, Marek, because I was I was trying to tie it in with what Helen was saying about the covenant. As we understand about the covenant today, is that both parties they have a benefit of the covenant, but in this case, we are talking about what benefits does God have on, on this covenant? And we have to kind of shift our mind a, a bit away from the covenant we understand today of the benefits of both parties. Of course, God will have a benefit in a sense that he wants us to be saved, all of us to be saved. That's in the end, uh, you know, the benefit, if you like to put it in that way, which probably I believe in my words, it's quite simplistic to say that. But coming to that uh, uh, point, Marek, uh, when uh, that happened, to see all the animals following, you know, two by two into the ark, not being led by anybody, but just going into the ark, that means, and this is an interesting thing, sometimes an animal knows more about God than a human being. Just look at Balaam and the donkey. Yeah. Yes. And you know, one, one of the points that I want to emphasize here is that in chapter six, we have mentioned that I will establish a covenant with you. But the conditions and details of that covenant are not specified until chapter eight. 
And there we are provided a lot of detail. Now, you know, God does not treat the matter of the flood here very lightly. We read of all the violence, of all the corruption, of all the evil that existed on the earth. We have to be aware of the fact that when we as humanity sin against the laws and principles of God, that has an impact on the whole environment within which we live. And here we see the evidence that man's sin impacted on all of God's creation. And yet, that which God loved and created and declared as being good and being very good was now subject to judgment, not on account of, 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 of evil that these animals and creatures had perpetrated, but on account of the evil that man had perpetrated. And so here is God preserving some of his created work, and here are animals, birds, and living creatures guided into the ark by the angels of God. And I, I, I can't even begin to think of what that must have looked like when coming from the mountains and the valleys, you had thousands and thousands of animals. The number of species that existed then was far greater than the number of species that we have today. But all of these creatures were moving into the ark, and Noah, uh, of course, in building the ark, also had to gather provisions for these animals because they would spend more than a whole year in the ark, and he had to feed them and look after them. So, you know, here is God's grace as reflected not only towards mankind, but also to all created things, including animals and birds. And I, I, I love that because later on when we come to discussing the covenant, we will find that that covenant is not only with Noah and humanity, that covenant is actually with the land and with all living creatures. Do you have any comments, reflections on that? I just wanted to make a comment on this thing about the animals going into the ark, because I do believe it's actually important. There must have been hundreds, perhaps even thousands of people who witnessed this event. Now, I would believe myself that many of these people would be standing watching this, and in their mind they thought, there's something happening here, we should maybe get involved. And I really believe the same thing applies today. I'm sure there must be thousands, perhaps even millions of people in the world that are looking at the world events and thinking, there's something going on here. Maybe some of these things I've heard about God is true. One reason or another... They don't take that step forward. Yes. All right. Len, you had a comment. The covenant that God made with Noah and with the environment actually consisted of two parts. The first part we find in the end of Genesis chapter 8, verse 21, where God says, Never again will I curse the ground because of man even though every inclination of his heart is evil from childhood. And never again will I destroy all living creatures as I have done. As long as the earth endures, seed time and harvest, cold and heat, summer and winter, day and night, will never cease. Mm -hmm. In other words, God has said, no, what I've done here, this will not be repeated. I, I see this covenant as, as being uh, three-dimensional, the, the covenant really is made here with, with Noah and, and his family, but it's very clear that the covenant also is made with the land and with all living creatures. So verse 10 and, and, and 12, we, we read, every living creature that is with you, 
in verse uh, 10 again, every animal of the earth that is, is with you, every living creature, all the flesh, verse 15, every living creature, all the flesh that is on earth, verse 16, all flesh that is on earth, verse 17. Here we, we see a, a multidimensional covenant where God promises not to destroy all living creatures again. Now, it's it's kind of interesting. It would be a discussion in itself to really look at the meaning of those clauses because uh, sometimes when we look at uh, statements made by uh, Peter in some of his epistles and so forth, there is talk about all of uh, living creatures being destroyed and so forth. And so it would be interesting to, to discuss that in more detail. But you know, when I when I read this covenant here, and God not only addressing mankind, but all living creatures and the land, the environment, I do see a loving creator. He does not turn his back, not even on the fish or the birds or the other living creatures. He cares for them, and he spares their life by bringing them into the, into the ark and then by promising to never again destroy all living creatures. You know, what a loving God. He cares for each one of us. He cared for Noah and for his family, but he cared even for the flying birds and the crawling creatures and the animals that walked into the ark. I, I, uh, you know, when I visualize this, my heart just fills with regard, respect, and awe for a loving creator God that we see reflected in these pages. Marek, if I could read uh, from chapter 9, verse 12, which says, and God said, this is the sign of the covenant which I will make between me and you and every living creature that is, is with you. And this, this is mentioning what you just said, uh, Marek, that not only with men, but every living creature for uh, perpetual generation, says in my translation. And in verse 13, I set my rainbow in the cloud. And it shall be for the sign of the covenant between me mm-hmm. and the earth, mm-hmm. which include man and every creature. And when we look at the rainbow, the beautiful, beautiful color. Now, as a kid, I used to go from a hill to hill because I saw it all exactly where it touched the earth on the hill. And I went there and it was furthermore. <laughs> you know, but it was amazing. It was beautiful to see that rainbow. And I believe uh, it's a pity that that rainbow is used in many other circumstances, which doesn't reflect God's covenant. Right. God has given a sign of his promise that he would never again destroy the earth by water. Unfortunately, this sign has been corrupted. Instead of being a sign of integrity, it has become a sign of sin. Now, I'm sure many people would like me to expand further on that, but I believe that this sign of integrity of God has been changed, just like many good things have been changed, for an unholy purpose. Yes, thank you. Thank you, um, Lenny. It's amazing how this arch of colours that is visible in the sky when when there's a little bit of a drizzle, uh, a little bit of rain coming, how this sign, the Bible says, was to remind God of the promise that he made, but I don't think it's so much a reminder for God as it is a reminder for us. 
It's a reminder of God's grace, of his compassion for humanity. It's, it's a reminder of the fact that he will never, ever destroy all of the earth uh, by means of a flood. You know, today we see and read of localized floods, and just in the last two weeks, you know, we, we read of floods in Indonesia. Before that, we had terrible floods around our own country. But we know that, uh, that these floods are different phenomena to the flood that occurred in the days of Noah. And we can have certainty that what God promises us as part of that covenant, he will honor and he will never destroy the world again by a worldwide universal flood. That, uh, that reminder of the covenant in the form of a rainbow is something really, really beautiful that we can look at. And, and I, I think all of us, all of us, when we see a magnificent rainbow, whether we are driving in the car, whether we are working in the garden or walking, always will stop and pause and reflect on that beauty. We are touched by its beauty and even more so by its significance and meaning uh, of what it uh, intends to, to remind us. I would like to bring our discussion progressively to a close. But when Jesus Christ said that just as it was in the days of Noah, so shall it be in the days preceding his return, what lessons can we learn from what we have studied today uh, that gave rise to the to the to the destruction of the known world back then by the flood. What lessons can we learn that are very relevant and pertinent to our time today? Len. Well, I would like to say that God is a God of integrity. He makes a promise, he keeps it. Unless, of course, it's a conditional promise where it relies on a person's performance or reaction. But uh, in the case of the flood and the covenant with Noah, God kept what he said he would do. And because of that, I can trust him. Right. Thank you. Thank you. You know, when I realize that we live at a time when people deny the existence of God, when people ridicule the good news of the everlasting gospel as it is presented to them, when we see violence surrounding us everywhere where we fail to show regard and respect for human life and for animal life, as we look at the ecological crisis, we can see evidences which, which basically help us realize that we are living in, in the end times. And, uh, and uh, it, it is difficult, but, you know, just the other day I was reading statistics, 40 to 50 million abortions a year. How much regard do we have for life? How much do we respect the things that God has created, the beauty of his creation? It does remind us of the times of, of, of the days of Noah. And I, I hope that as we see this all around us, that we will be touched by his love. We will be touched by the promises that he has made, that we will be convinced of the fact that the God of justice and love will see things to their ultimate end and that righteousness in the end will be victorious, and sin one day will be destroyed completely, never to show its rear its ugly face again. And, uh, and so there are many lessons that we can learn from the study of this covenant with, uh, that God made with Noah. And, uh, and for that reason, I think the lesson very aptly 
is entitled for all future generations. It's there for us uh, today as much as it was there for Adam, for uh, Noah, for Abraham. It's there for us. Let's pray that God will enable us to walk with him as Noah walked with him, as Enoch walked with him, and that uh, we will we will take that message to those who are all around us. Also, yeah, I learned today and through this uh, discussion we have, I understand that uh, we are in, in a covenant with God, but we cannot live carelessly. We cannot afford just to uh, go from day to day, do our own things. We need to keep our eyes fixed on Jesus and the covenant which God mm-hmm. made with us all. Good. Just to close our discussion, uh, Len, would you kindly lead us in prayer, please? Would you like to bow your heads and close your eyes in prayer? And dear Father in heaven, you are a God of righteousness. You are a God of compassion and you're a God of integrity. And we pray, Lord, that as we study, have studied today and will study further about how you kept your end of the deal, that we might be inclined to keep our end of the deal. We pray for your continued influence in our lives and that we, as your people, might stand up, as did Noah, amongst those millions and millions of people who were just committed to sin. So we pray for your blessing now on our listeners and on us. In Jesus' name, amen. 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 Thank you so much for um, contributing to this Bible study today. And um, it was wonderful to look at uh, Noah and his relationship with God. We are going to learn a little bit more about uh, covenants and particularly an everlasting covenant. And uh, in the next uh, Bible study, we'll meet Abraham and uh, we'll learn also how Abraham followed God. I'll invite you to come back with us. But until then, may God richly bless you and keep walking in the footsteps of Jesus.